I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make a crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We shall be looking at a new series and I want to introduce that series by mentioning a cartoon that I read many, many years ago. It was a coach and his team. Apparently, the team had played so badly in the previous match. And so the first day of training after the previous match, the coach was holding the ball and he announced to the team, he said, now, after the match two days ago, we need to go back to basics. This is a ball. It is round. It is kicked with the foot and, you know, and went on and on and on, on. Of course, it sounded like a funny thing. But their play was so bad that the coach had to begin to say to them that what a football is, is something that you kick with the foot. I don't know how they were kicking the ball in the match. I don't know how, how they played. But he went back to basics. And so we want to go back to basics. We want to go back to the basics. What we see today of what is taking place in Christendom, it makes us to ask and to wonder, what is Christianity really about? When we find churches gathered in one building, you have almost five or six churches inside one building on different floors, and you start wondering, what is it all about? Is it about the preaching of Christ? Is it a competition? Is it a cooperation amongst us? What is Christianity really about? So we want to go back to basics. And to help us on our way, we shall look at the first few words in a statement that is made in Acts chapter 6 verse 1. So let's go to Acts chapter 6 verse 1. And it says, Now, in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, that's the, entire, that's the entire verse. But we just want to pick a portion of that one verse that says, now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying. That's what we want to pick. What happened that made the number of disciples to increase greatly? What was it that took place? We know, for example, that in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples gathered in the upper room, they were about 120 by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, verse 1, they couldn't be talking about numbers because they had increased greatly. The New King James used the term multiplying, when they were multiplying. So they were increasing greatly. What happened that they grew from 120 to such a number that they, they couldn't begin to talk about how many they were in numerical terms? We know, for example, that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 joined. And then at another time, 5,000 joined. And then thereafter, they just could not begin to mention how many. So what was it that took place? That the disciples were growing. Now, while we gloat today about membership, the Bible speaks of disciples. So there's a difference. We may be saying, oh, but we have more members. No, we are talking of disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, before the Lord ascended, this was the, what we call the Great Commission. I, I call it his last commandment to us, at least while before he left the earth. He said, go therefore and make disciples. He didn't say go therefore and admit members. He said go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go therefore and make disciples. Not go therefore and gather members. No, make disciples. So we will need to understand who a disciple is as distinct from who a member is. That's what we're going to spend some time doing in this discussion as we look at back to basics. Back to basics will be the global theme. And today we want to distinguish between members and disciples. So let's begin with members. Members are the people who attend church meetings but are not committed to the Lord. They attend church meetings. They attend prayer meetings. They may attend all prayer meetings. They may attend all the meetings. 
but they are not committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, John chapter 2, the Bible speaks of something that, that happened when the Lord was in Jerusalem in the early part of his ministry. John chapter 2 from verse 23 to verse 25. Now, when he, that is the Lord Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Please note that. They believed because of the signs, because of the miracles. They did not believe him, but they believed the signs. They were there for the signs. In verse 24, the Bible says, But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men, and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew these people. He knew what they were there for. He knew that their believing in him was because of the miracles. They were not believing in him because he is Christ. They believed in him because of the miracles they saw. So if tomorrow they were to see a magician performing miracles, they would believe that magician. They would believe that miracle. So he did not commit himself to them. Members are not committed to the Lord, and so the Lord is usually not committed to them. Members may be there because of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that they are seeing. Whether they are genuine or they are lying wonders, it doesn't make any difference to them. As long as something they happen there, according to what they, how they say it, as long as things are happening, they are okay. It doesn't matter that the minister or the pastor himself is not living a holy life. It doesn't matter that that fellow has no resemblance to the Lord Jesus Christ or to one that is called of God. As long as things are happening, in quotes, in that ministry, they are there. They are members. I remember overhearing a conversation on the street. A, a lady was talking to another, a, a friend of hers, and said, ah, you see the clothes I'm putting on? He said, ah, that's true. I was even wondering how you got it. He said, ah, he's my, he's my pastor that is doing it for me. You know, he's the one who is prophesying good things into my life and this and that. And I was taken aback because I, I never heard once the lady mentioning the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once. Everything was about her pastor who was seeing visions and who was prophesying and she was able to wear good clothes. That is all that a member is interested in. That I'm looking okay. People are happy with me. You know, I have comfort around me and so on and so forth. So members attend churches. They are part of our churches. However, they are not committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are committed to themselves. Another thing about members is that they may in fact tithe and they may give fat offerings. They may even be what we call church workers. And whatever names or terms some churches have, I don't know. Some call them workers, some call them volunteers or whatever. They may in, in fact be church workers, but they are not concerned with the weightier matters of the gospel. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about the Pharisees, this is what he said. Matthew 23, verse 23. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and honey and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to to have done without leaving the others undone. Members believe that by tithing and giving good offerings, they will be in right standing with God. In fact, I've heard pastors preach when they talk about how you can win favor with God, that you must be a tither, you must be a giver, you must be this, you know, that. Let us correct that first and foremost. You don't win favor with God. God looks upon you favorably. For example, when Mary, who was the vessel that brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ to the world, was visited by the angel, the angel greeted her by saying, you are blessed amongst women. Why? Because they couldn't understand what it was that she did, that she became the chosen vessel to bring the Lord into the world. It's not as if she was better than any other woman there. She wasn't the best of women. There were other virgins like her in Israel. But it just happened that she was the one that was chosen. We must understand that you don't buy favor from God. But these men are crafty 
and they are unscrupulous men. They don't care what they are saying. They don't even care two bits about you, the so-called member. All they want is your money. And they will look for ways and means by which they can extract it from you. They can call on the name of God. They can shout and pray and whatever, say whatever. They can do anything just to get the money out of your hands. Members are not interested in the weightier matters of the gospel. They are not interested in things like faith. If you hear them talk about faith, it is because they want to get something from God. But faith that makes them to stand even in the midst of adversity, no. They are not interested in those things. When we talk of justice or judgment, when we talk of fairness and equity, no. They are not interested in that. If I can get it anyhow, I can get it, it is okay. Ethics doesn't work with them. If they have to lie against somebody to get something, it is okay. If they have to do something that is wrong to get something, it is okay. They are not committed to living as the gospel expects them to live. They would rather live like the world and still claim to be of the Lord and be paying tithe. A member can steal money and pay tithe on the stolen money. As long as he is paying tithe, as long as he's giving offering, doesn't matter. We've heard stories of armed robbers who, when they asked how they dispensed of the money, some of them mentioned that they paid tithe. Some of them mentioned that they gave their pastors money. All kinds of things are happening. So you find that amongst members. Another thing about members is that members live as they like. They are not subject to Christ and his word. They live as they like. Nobody can tell them that you should live this way or live that way. No, 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 no. A member believes that I can live as I want and it's not anybody's business. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and us, how we should live. It says, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Members live for themselves. They, they are not interested in the death of Christ per se. If the death of Christ would bring them something, they are interested. If the death of Christ requires that they now make sacrifices, they are not interested. So when we talk of members, we are speaking of people who have chosen to live as they like. They dress as they like. They talk as they like. They do whatever they want to do. They, on social media, they can abuse, they can insult. There is no, nothing about the life of Christ. They can appear at a beauty contest, dress nude. They can even be involved in prostitution as long as they're able to bring something to the house of God that is okay. But they fail to read that the Bible makes it clear that the wages of a harlot shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. They are not interested in that because they have people who have lied to them. They don't want to live right, but they want to get everything that those who are living righteously are getting. They are like Balaam, who was a man after gain, yet he prayed a prayer when he saw the future of Israel. He said, oh, that I may die the death of the righteous. Yet he was living an unrighteous life. Of course, he died the death of the unrighteous. You cannot live the life of the unrighteous and then die the death of the righteous. You would die the death of the unrighteous. In John chapter 8, John chapter 8 verse 31, the Bible again says here that, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, these were people who had believed in him, but he said to them, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you are not abiding in the word of God, if you are not committed to the word of God, you cannot be his disciple. You are a member. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. As long as you are not committed to the word of God, you are not committed to doing the word of God, you are not committed to the study of the word of God, you are not committed to enabling the word of God to have meaning and have space in your life, you are just a member. Another thing about members they may indeed not be born again. Not talk of being sanctified. The you know, interesting thing is that many of these people can speak in tongues. They speak Christianese. They speak all the praise the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is on his throne. I'm highly favored. I'm they, they have all those lingos. But they are not born again. Some of them have been taught how to speak in tongues. I don't know how you can teach people to speak in tongues, but I know that there are churches where they teach them how to speak in tongues. They teach them to say, ba, 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 da, 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 da. Well, it is not Holy Spirit induced. 
In fact, once I heard somebody reciting incantation, as and as far as he was concerned, that is speaking in tongues. They are not born again. I have encountered many people who say they are Christians, who say they, they, by the time they mention the churches that they attend, you will be surprised. Many of the mega churches around, many of the large denominations around. But these people are very strange indeed. When you ask them, they say, oh, this is my church. But when you ask, are you born again? They say, actually, let me tell you the truth, I'm not. I've met some of them hold up in some dens, smoking Indian hemp. Some of them will tell you, I'm just coming from church now. I just came here to relax. That is to smoke Indian hemp. Some others will tell me, because you see them well-dressed, they say, I just came to smoke a little bit. I'm on my way to church. I mean, I've seen these things. I remember once talking to a young man. I saw him. His head was down. I was asking him. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, oh, he's, you know, he's just thinking of what to do. That he got a girl pregnant and the girl doesn't want the pregnancy. The brother said that he must look for money to abort the pregnancy. I said, so where's the girl? He said, oh, she just work, went to church now. I said, to do what? He said, ah, she's going to church. When she comes back from church, we'll go together to the hospital for the abortion. I, I froze. I didn't know what to say. The fact that you see people carrying Bible or able to quote scripture does not mean they are their disciples. They may in fact be members. They're not even born again. There's one who is a worker, but she's also in a spiritist church where they say they see visions. And I said, what are you doing? I said, actually, that she's an intercessor in that place. But that this other denomination, that nobody can remove her from that, that is her church. And I was wondering, what kind of schizoid human beings do we have? We have schizophrenic people. They are in one church and they're in the other church. They have no allegiance to God in any shape or form. Their allegiance is to themselves and what they can get. Another thing about members is that members are focused on what they can get rather than what they can give to the Lord. Members are not interested in sacrifice of any sort. They are not interested in what I can give to the Lord. They are all interested in what I can get from the Lord, what I can gain from what I am doing. What is in it for me? If you see them cleaning chairs or sweeping the church, it is possible that it is because they are looking for something. I once met somebody who said, whenever I have a need and I go to the church and sweep, God meets me at the point of my need. But this person was not born again. So I gave him a simple illustration. I said, if somebody comes to my house and says to me, sir, I'm trying to raise money for my school fees. Can I wash your car so that you can pay me? I said, of course. I can take him on. I said, okay, go ahead, wash the cars. At the end of the month or at the end of the day or at the end of the week, whichever arrangement we have, I pay him something. Now, if my child were to see that and now come to me and say, dad, let me wash your car so that you can pay my school fee, then I know that something is wrong with my son because he doesn't need to wash my car for me to pay his school fees. But somebody who is not related to me can wash my cars and I can, I can pay him. I'm paying him a wage. But for my son to think that I'm going to pay him something because he's washing my car. Something is wrong with the boy's head. Now, the reality is this. So many people go to church and think that because I'm doing something in the house of God and God is doing something for me, they don't know that what they have going is an arrangement of wages where I clean the church and God pays me. And they're happy with it. But they are not children of God. A child of God does not need to do that to get paid or to get things, to receive things from his father or her father, as the case may be. You do it because you are a child of God. I cannot imagine a child in a home wanting to shake his responsibilities and then coming around to say, let me do what I'm supposed to do as a chore, but you pay me. Something is wrong with that fellow. He's living for free in the house, eating for free in the house, and now he wants to collect something for doing what he should ordinarily do in the home. That's an irresponsible child. I saw something on social media once of a mother who went to some fellow to complain about the child. She was paying this boy, I think, $1,000 every month or every week or something. And the boy was now insisting on the mother increasing his pay. This We're talking of a 16-year-old boy who is not going to school, who is going nowhere. But he wants to live well. He wants to dress well. By the time they analyzed the whole thing, the mother was the one who had the problem. What are you giving the boy money for? For doing nothing, he won't go to school and you are paying him money on a regular basis. And now that he's 
asking for increase and threatening your life. Now you go to people and you say, please come and judge. But what, what did you think you were doing? So members are only focused on what they can get, not what they can give. Any child who behaves that way is a member. Is not a, is not a part of that home. Is an outsider who is just trying to use the camouflage of you gave birth to me to lay claim to that home. Another thing about members, and I think we'll, we'll stop with this one. Members will make no sacrifices for the gospel's sake. It's all about them. All they're interested in is themselves. They will not make one sacrifice about anything. If they ever mention the good Samaritan to you, it is because they want you to give them something. They are not ready to make any sacrifice whatsoever. I remember attending a friend's church once, and a young man walked up to my friend, the pastor of the church, and said to him that God had told him, to come and meet the pastor so that the pastor can give him money. Of course, my, my friend almost went berserk. That, what, what are you doing? You want to use God's name to manipulate me into giving you something? This fellow was not a part of that church at all. It was the first time he was visiting the church. And then he says, God told him. And you, you will look at him and you know that this fellow, there's nothing about God in this fellow. He, it is something he has been doing because he knows that the fear of God is in them. So he wants to use that to manipulate no sacrifices. They just want something. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to verse 27, the Bible says, Now great multitudes, and that's what members are, they are multitudes. Great multitudes went with him, that is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he turned and said to them, they are always following Jesus. The fact that they are following Jesus does not make them disciples. We shall see that a disciple is actually a follower of Jesus. But these ones are just following. They will walk with him. They will go wherever he is going. They will attend crusades. They will attend any meeting. They may not want to give their lives to Christ, but they will attend all those meetings. So he's speaking to this multitude now. And so he turned as they were following him. And he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So he said, following me by itself is not the issue. If you're not ready to make the sacrifices that are required, then you cannot be my disciple. And then he goes on in verse 27 and says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear your cross? Now, in those days, when you saw a man carrying a cross, you would have seen a man who is going to his execution. Because under Roman law then, you carried your cross to the execution ground. So if you were to see a man carrying a cross, you have seen a man who is sentenced to death and going to his execution. So what is the Lord saying here? He said, if you are not ready to sign a death warrant that you can be killed in the course of the gospel, if all you are there for is pleasure, you cannot be my disciple. So members are there for the pleasure. Members will attend gospel concerts. They will attend any meeting whatsoever but they are not ready to make any sacrifice for the Lord. If you ask them what sacrifice they have made, they can tell you things like, oh, I went to church under the rain. That's a sacrifice as far as they are concerned. I trekked to church. That's a sacrifice as, as, as far as they are concerned. They have not told you that they trekked to church that day or came under the rain because they want to get money from the brethren in the church. So they are not ready to make sacrifices. They just want to do things on their own. And the Lord is saying that if you are not ready to make those sacrifices, if you are not ready to abandon father, mother, wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, including your own very life, you are not ready to be his disciple. You are just a member. So with a few we've said about members, let's now look at disciples. A disciple is a disciplined follower of the teachings and lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have time to look at the historical antecedents and how disciples came about. For example, disciples were basically students of a master. They lived with their master and they followed the teachings of their master, the principles that their masters taught them. They dressed like their masters. They mimicked the behavior of their master. So if you were to see a disciple, you would have seen the master because he looked very much like the master hairstyle, clothing, everything, he looked like the master. More importantly, mannerism and way of life, he looked like the master. In this particular case, a disciple is a disciplined follower. Is a follower who is disciplined. He is not 
an erratic, chaotic follower, but one that is disciplined, subdued, humble, follower of the teachings and lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, 20 again, the second part of the last command that the Lord gave to the disciples. But I'll read it from verse 19 when he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In verse 20 he says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So when you are making a disciple, is of people who will follow the teachings and the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that if you were to see them, these people who are disciples, you will be able to say they are like Christ. I read a book once of a missionary who had gone to India and he was in a community and he began to tell them about the life that the Lord Jesus Christ lived. And as he was speaking, a very old man, someone in his 80s or 90s, raised up his hand and the missionary said yes. He said, that this Jesus you're talking about, he came to our village when I was young. The missionary was looking at, what are you talking about? He said, no, he came, he came. So he was pointing to a few of the other older people like him in the place and was you know, trying to tell, tell them, but you remember that there was somebody like this who came. Apparently, there was another missionary who had come to that village when this 90-something-year-old man was a child. And all that was being said about the Lord Jesus Christ, that fellow was living. So as far as he was concerned, that fellow was the Jesus they were talking about. And that is what a disciple should be. The Bible says that we are the epistle. We are the book that many would read. Many people will not read the Bible, but they will read us. So there is a challenge for the disciple to be like Christ, to live as Christ. In Acts chapter 11 verse 26, the Bible records that it was in Antioch of Syria that the disciples were first called Christians, which is Christianos or like Christ or Christ-like, people who were behaving like Christ. These were people who had gone through a series of teachings over a period of one year. And when people who had known them a priori saw them, they said they are behaving like one Jesus Christ that we saw that we used to know when we went to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. We saw that man. These people are behaving like him. They are Christ-like. They are Christians. So the term Christian and disciple are one and the same. The problem with us today is that when we use the term Christian, we are speaking of somebody who goes to church. We are speaking of a member, not a disciple. But the Bible is referring to Christian as a disciple, not a member. Which brings me to the next thing about a disciple. He is first and foremost a saved sinner. That is, he's born again and he's being sanctified. And then because he starts as that, he starts that way. He's a babe in Christ. He begins as a babe, but he now grows to become like Christ. He grows into maturity. So a disciple is a student, a diligent, disciplined student of the word of God. A follower of the teachings of the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. The Bible says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be, that is the son might be, the firstborn among many brethren. So all those that the father was going to bring to the son, because no man can come to the son except the father draw them. Now, all those that the father would choose and bring to the son, he had already predetermined that they are going to be like the son. Where the son, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, will be like the first amongst many brethren. So, they will be members of the same family, having the same father, being conformed to the same image as the Lord Jesus Christ. In humility, in holiness in charity, and so on and so forth. They would be like Christ. They are first and foremost people who are born again. But then they grow. They don't get born again and sit down. No. There is a desire, there is a hunger in them for the Lord 
to be like him. They want to grow. There are people who have been born again for even 20 years who are still babes in the Lord. They have done nothing. They are jumping from one place to the other, seeking deliverance. Let me say this again. Once you come to Christ, the salvation that you have is a total package. But like God told Israel in the wilderness, said, when you enter the promised land, I am not going to drive the inhabitants in one day because you will not be large enough to occupy the entire place. I'm going to drive them over time. Otherwise, you will have the lions and the wild beasts coming into the place and living amongst you. So it is the same thing. It's not everything that will leave us in one day. God can do it to leave us in one day. But there was a time the Bible says, I think in Judges, that God allowed some of the nations to remain in the promised land so that those who did not know war will learn how to fight. They will learn warfare. So he left them there so that they can war against them. There are some habits that God can wipe out in one day. But he leaves those things there so that you can war a good warfare in the spirit so that you can grow in him. If everything were given to you on a platter, you would not grow. You would not develop spiritual muscles. You would just be a babe. So these challenges are there, not for you to raise up your hands and say, I give up. No, they are there for you to learn how to war a good warfare in the Lord and overcome all the challenges that come to you. It is not going to a meeting and saying amen to when somebody is praying. You don't even know how that man who is praying is living his life. And you think that by shouting amen, that it means it will affect you. You have not prayed yourself. God is not looking for people who are coming to him through proxies. God is looking for a relationship with people on one-on-one -on -one basis. So you may have been saved, but you need to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to grow from that beginning and grow to maturity. What the Bible talks about, growing to perfection. A disciple does everything his master teaches without trying to twist the thing to suit him or suit his purpose or her purpose as the case may be. A disciple just wants to know what is the Lord saying. He's, he's promptly moving. When a disciple studies the word of God, he is attentive for the Holy Spirit's direction, for what the Holy Spirit is saying about that thing that he is learning. What is the Spirit of God saying to me about this matter? That is uppermost in his own heart. He wants to follow the word of God. He is not ready to follow a false prophet. John 10 tells us, my sheep, they know me. They know my voice. He said, when they hear my voice, they follow me. Let me explain that. I think, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it once, but I hear that in Israel, the shepherds bunch their flock together in a ranch or something. Different shepherds, they just put their sheep there. And nobody's bothered about writing their names on the skin or the, or the wool of the sheep. All they do is, when it's time to go out, one shepherd will go into the ranch where all the flocks are gathered and he will just begin to speak. As he's walking around, he'll begin to speak. Only his sheep will get up. The other sheep will continue their sleep. They will not move at all. Only his sheep will get up and be following him as he's walking around. And then as he's moving out the door, they'll follow him out the door. The others will stay there until their own shepherd will come. And as their shepherd is speaking, they also will get up and the others whose shepherd are not there yet will stay. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. That my sheep, they know my voice. They will follow me. If a stranger were to come, they will run away from the stranger. So the disciple knows the master's voice. He knows when the master is speaking. You cannot deceive him. He is not moved by the things that move other people. He is interested in what the master is saying. That's a disciple. A person can be called a pastor or a minister. And he may in fact not be a disciple. He may not even be born again. I heard a story once of a church, so-called, part of a big denomination. They had done a program and they had planted a church. And this fellow was made a pastor. Apparently, the group that went to plant that church was this pastor's group. This pastor, in quotes, was actually a cult leader. And so members of his cult followed him and they went to start that church. They were actually cult members who, were, who planted that church. And people were coming to the church. For some reason, this pastor invited a guest minister one day. By the time the guest minister finished preaching, 
and made the altar call. The pastor was the first man with, on, his, on his knees in the front of the altar to surrender his life. After the meeting, the pastor now sat down with him and began to unravel and say, look, the truth of the matter is that we started this church as cult members so that we could have a basis whereby people will not identify us as cult members because they will know that we are attending church. And then he began to say, all the workers in this church, they are all cult members. They are my members. So it is possible for a pastor, somebody will call a minister, not to be born again. I've heard of pastors who smoke Indian hemp, who take drugs, who do all kinds of crazy things. They are not disciples. Whereas a person may not be a pastor, he may just have been recently saved, and may in fact be a disciple. So what is the determining factor? Why would we say a pastor may not be a disciple, and yet somebody who just got born again could be a disciple? Number one, a disciple is a student. If the pastor is not a student of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not a disciple. A disciple is always learning from the master. The Lord Jesus Christ said, you cannot be greater than the master. It is enough for you to be at the same level as the master, but you cannot be greater than the master. So a disciple is forever learning, forever desiring to be like the master. A disciple is one who hungers for Christ. Not only does he hunger for Christ, he hungers for more of Christ. When he has attained to a place, he says, I need more of Christ. And then when he gets to that level, he says, I need all of Christ. So he hungers for Christ. He hungers for more of Christ. He hungers for all of Christ. That's a disciple. We're going to read Philippians chapter 3 from verse 1. I'll probably end at verse 20. He says, finally, my brethren, this is Paul writing, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. For me to repeat myself. To go all over the same things. It's not a tedious thing, no. Sometimes we get so familiar with the Bible when somebody's saying the same thing, they say, I've heard it before. No, you need to hear it again. You need to be reminded. Human memory is short. We have a way of forgetting things. That's why we need to read the Bible every day. We need to listen to messages regularly. In verse 2 it says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's speaking of the people who claimed to be ministers of the gospel, but who were coming with a strange doctrine. They were dogs because they are outsiders. Dogs are outsiders. They were evil workers because they are not the workers of God. They were called the mutilation because all they were interested in was to circumcise. As far as they are concerned, once you are circumcised, you are not a disciple. They were not satisfied that you were born again, you were saved by grace. They believed that not only are you saved by grace, you must also be circumcised. And they didn't understand what that circumcision meant. In the New Testament, circumcision is talking about sanctification. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In verse 3, it says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. That's who we are. We don't have self-confidence. Our confidence is in Christ. We have been circumcised by the Spirit of God. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. That is one who kept the law strictly. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I was so zealous, I thought I was working for God when I was persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If you spoke about keeping the Ten Commandments, blameless. In verse 7, it says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. The things that I considered gain, it made me to lose. So by the time I came to Christ, I realized that I need to throw away those things. They don't even count where Christ is. In verse 6, it says, Yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as a rubbish that I may gain Christ. I'm ready to lose my certificate. I'm ready to lose my degree. I'm ready to forget about what I studied to gain Christ. All those things, I consider them loss when I weigh them to gain Christ. In talking about the knowledge of Christ, he's talking about entering into the fullness of the knowledge of Christ, something that you attain through personal one-on-one -on -one relationship, through intimacy. It's like a man and his wife, the way they would know themselves, it increases each year. The way they knew themselves when they first got married is not the way they know themselves 10 years after or 20 years after or 30 years after or 40 years after as the Lord will permit them to live together. 
as man and wife, that is, without one of them going to be with the Lord. And be found in him, in Christ, not having my own righteousness, my own standards of right and wrong, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, living by the standard of God, by putting my trust in Christ and allowing him to lead me and direct me how I should live. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. I want to know him in and out. I want to experience him. I want to experience the things he experienced. I want to experience the resurrection. I want to experience his suffering. I want to even experience his death. I want to be like him in every material particular. That is the cry of the heart of a disciple. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. If in all of these things, I myself will see that resurrection from the dead, even in this lifetime. Not that I have already attained. No, I've not gotten there. Or I'm already perfected. But I press on. That's what I mean that they hunger for Christ. Then when they get to that level, they now hunger for more of Christ. And then when they get there, they hunger for all of Christ. So I've not reached there. I keep pressing that I may lay hold of that for which Christ, Jesus, also laid hold of me. I keep pressing. There's a reason why the Lord laid hold on me. There's a reason why he arrested me on that road to Damascus. I want to be able to apprehend and comprehend the reason why I was apprehended. And you would have thought that Paul would know all of that. He says, no, it's not clear to me. I keep pressing, I keep pressing. As I press on, I would find out why. When we're talking of divine service, we mentioned that some of us would think that we're serving God because we are pastoring churches. And so Our service may actually be in taking care of our spouse at the end of the day. It may not even be the issue of the church. In verse 13, it says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I keep pressing, I keep pressing, I keep pushing on. If I may apprehend, why did the Lord save my soul? That is the cry of a disciple. Lord, you saved my soul. What is it that you want me to do? We are not satisfied with where we are. We want to know more. There must be a reason. Why am I spending more time on the earth? It cannot be to drive a car. It cannot be to build a house. There must be something else. So we keep pushing. We keep pushing for the upward call. That is the call to heaven. In verse 15 it says, Therefore, let us... As many as are mature have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. If you are mature, let's not get into arguments, into quarrels. Let's build on what we have at that level of maturity and grow more and more and more in Christ. Over time, things will be revealed. I tell people, there's no need for us to argue over things. If your understanding is at this level, no problem. Over time, you will understand things. I remember when I was much younger, there were some things that I thought were the right things. But as I grew older and older and older, I realized how foolish those thoughts were. You cannot expect a 60-year-old man to have the same reasoning as a 40-year-old man. Or, and a 40-year-old man to have the same reasoning as a 20-year-old man. They have gone through the phases of life. When you see an 80, 90-year-old man who is sitting down quietly and watching around, looking at how young people are behaving, he has this grin on his face and says, I've been here before. And they don't know what they are doing. And sometimes when they speak, they probably will speak for only five minutes. But what they have said has a heavy weight of wisdom. So he's saying, at whatever level you are, grow at that level and desire to grow more and more. Over time, you will come to understand where we have reached. That's where Paul and the others have reached. You will come to that understanding. In verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Wherever your level is, can we just walk like Christ walked? Can we walk having the same mind as Christ had? The mind of humility, the mind of service, the mind of sacrifice, the mind of holiness, the mind of obeying the word of God, the mind of seeking to do the will of the Father. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us as for, as for a pattern. He says, follow our example. We are there as a pattern. Follow us. Mark others too who are living like that. Follow them. 
And I think one place he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So what he's saying is, be following me. But if you see that I'm not following Christ, withdraw from my back. But as long as I'm following Christ, follow me. Which means that it is incumbent on us to even see how Christ would walk for us to know that the person ahead of us is walking like Christ. We are not to go hook, line, sinker and now be deceived by people who say they are following Christ when indeed they are following Satan. And then it goes to verse 18 and says, For many... And I tell people that when you see many in the Bible, the opposite of many is few. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So there are very few people who are not enemies of the cross of Christ. There are many whose walk reveals that they are enemies of the cross. It says be careful of those people. Don't follow them. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Whose glory is in their shame. Who set their mind on earthly things? Their focus is on the earth. Their focus is in their private jets, in their cars, in their houses. And that is all the messages they preach. is all about what they have and what you can get. That's all. They don't seek Christ. They don't seek more of Christ. They don't seek all of Christ. They seek what they can get. A disciple is seeking all about Christ. In verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A disciple recognizes that he's a citizen of a different nation, a citizen of a different world, a citizen whose home is heaven. And that is where his focus is. Now I go back to Luke chapter 14 and we'll read from 28 to 33 as we begin to close our discussion for today. Luke 14, reading from 28, we've read 25 to 27 earlier. So I read from 28 and it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks condition of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he had cannot be my disciple. So as we close... I'd like to ask you some questions, critical questions. Have you sat down at any time since you became a Christian to count the cost, to consider what it will cost you? Have you considered how much it is costing you or not costing you to be a Christian? Have you weighed it? Are you ready to give up all for Christ? That's what he said. Have you sat down to count the cost? He said, sit down. It's never too late. Sit down. You can sit down right now and begin to count it. Do an accounting. Do a reckoning. Cost and expenditure. Your expenses and your revenue. Are you able to meet the demands of the gospel? If not, don't waste your time. But I tell you, the reason why the Lord is asking us to do this cost accounting is because he doesn't want us to go. He wants us to understand what to expect so that we don't have an expectation that is contrary to the gospel. For example, when you want to do a business proposal, you usually would do a business proposal and have a cash flow analysis. The cash flow analysis will tell you where you are likely to need bank funding and where you are likely to need long-term funding and then where you are also going to be able to start breaking even and things like that. Your feasibility study showing you the negatives does not mean that that project is not feasible. It just means that there are going to be down times when you would need aid from some other place. And then there will be a time when you break even and you will not be able to pay back. So it's the same thing here. You need to sit down and count the cost. What is it going to cost me to be a Christian? Am I ready to forgo father, mother, wife, husband as the case may be, children, brother, sister, even my life? Am I ready to give up my life for the sake of the gospel? If you have not reached that place, my brother, my sister, now is a good time to start. Do a cost accounting. There's one article I read many years ago which talks about what is it costing you to be a Christian. If it is not costing you anything to be a Christian, you are not a Christian. 
Because Christianity has a price. Yes, Christ paid the price. But even those of us who have come to Christ still have a price to pay for our Christian work. Persecution is part of it. Tribulation is part of it. Being slapped and not returning. Being reviled and not having to revile. Those are the costs. It will cost you your pride. It will cost you your flesh. It will cost you your lusts, your desires. What is it costing you to be a Christian? The second question, he said in verse 33, he says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Have you given a thought as to whether you are willing to forsake all for Christ's sake? Has it occurred to you that a time might come when you will have to give up all for the sake of Christ? If you have never considered that, this is a very good time to start considering it. Because that, that time will come. It comes for everybody. Unless you are not of Christ. It will come when you need to count the cost. So when we are talking of going back to basics, we are looking at the very rudiments. Membership versus discipleship. In Luke chapter 5, when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into Peter's boat and preached and then told Peter to go out a little bit into the deep and then threw out his nets so that he can catch some fish and they, they saw the haul of the fish they caught. They went down straight, Peter particularly went down straight on his face and Nisa said, Master, depart from us. We are sinful men. And the Lord looked at him and said, don't worry. From now on, you are going to be fishers of men. You are going to be catching men, not fish anymore. In verse 11 of Luke chapter 5, the Bible makes a statement. It says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. They dropped everything. In another account of one of the Gospels, the Bible talked about how James and John, the sons of Zebedee, left their father with the nets and everything and followed Christ. Are you ready to forsake all? Are you ready to forsake your job, your secular job that is earning you so much money? Are you ready to forsake all? And follow Christ. That is the, the price of being a disciple. A disciple is not somebody who is just casual. A disciple is somebody who is committed, who is devoted to the teachings and the lifestyle of the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I leave you with these two thoughts. Sit down please and count the cost whether you are able to continue or not. But I beg you, as you see the cost, just pray to God and say, Lord, grant me the grace to go through with this. Are you ready to forsake all? Sit down with the Lord and say, Lord, build me to that place where when push turns to shove, I will be holding on to you. Ask, tell the Lord, Lord, the day I arrive at the place where they say, if you will not deny Christ, we will behead you. Lord, give me the grace to be able to withstand the beheading. That is the price of our discipleship. Until we meet again, I say to you, God bless you and have a wonderful day.